This is Steve Kim. Andy Steiger. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you speak the language of our culture and address questions being asked with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Okay, Terry, if you're listening to this, you will want to know this, that Andy and I were talking for like five minutes just now, and guess what? He forgot to press record. <laughs> we, we didn't need Terry for this it's one. It's <laughs> true, man. I've learned from the best. Terry Crosby, <laughs> I didn't press record. You'd be so proud. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about something that's actually quite contentious in some circles. We're going to be talking about vaccines and fetal cells used in vaccines and the ethical implications of using vaccines that contain these cells. This topic was instigated because of COVID-19, but this is going to apply to vaccines for other diseases as well. But before we get into that, Andy, how did you spend your Father's Day? How was it for you? Thanks, Ben. Yeah, Father's Day just happened when it was fantastic. I have two boys. I know you have two kids as well. And, you know, Father's Day is pretty meaningful to me. It's just great to be with the family. And it's always cool, especially when you have boys. Boys aren't very affectionate, or at least my boys. You know, it's not like your boys come up to you and tell you how much they love you and stuff like that. It's more, you know, they come up and punch you or something like that. (laughs) A wrestling match. But Father's Day is always cool, you know, because at least with my kids, they will often create a card for me or something like that. Mm. So they this year, they, they made a virtual card that had these um, pictures on it in which they shared what they loved about their dad. And one of the things that's just funny about this is every time they talk about a favorite memory with me or something that they love about their dad, there's this one thing that always comes up. And sure enough, on this Father's Day card, it came up with a picture and everything. And that was that they loved that their dad fights monkeys with them. And to give you a little context here, my wife and I took our kids to Thailand once, and we were in Kosok National Park. And where we were in these bungalows, just right in the jungle there, we were in our bungalow one day and had the windows open and, and whatnot, it was hot. And I saw these two large objects jump through the window into our room, and I look over and there were these two large monkeys that were just standing over my backpack, had ripped it open, and were <laughs> rifling through my clothes and everything there as quick as they could. I'm like, I'm seeing underwear flying out and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> and they're looking for food. And in my mind, I'm one of those people that I would rather die a painful death before any monkey is getting one ounce of food from me. You know what I mean? So I quickly run after these two monkeys and they see that I mean business. And so they left my backpack and they went jumping out the window, but they like called all their friends or something. Cause I couldn't believe how many monkeys descended on our bungalow. <laughs> and it ended up in this hour long battle with these monkeys. It's quite a story. Maybe one of these days we'll talk about the monkey battle, but my kids have never forgotten, you know, when we banded together as a family, we fought for our home there in the jungle. It was amazing. It was, and then eventually they went on to somebody else's bungalow and we saw them taking all their food, which I was fine with. But. 
Then the other thing, though, what we did, though, though, on Father's Day, which was so much fun, we went crabbing. So if you're from British Columbia, we went down to White Rock, mm. went out to the water. You could just walk along the shores and find crabs. You just have to measure them, make sure they're the right sex and size. And then you can eat them. And it was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then we also have paddle boards. So we paddled out into the ocean and we're dropping nets uh, for them as well. And had an absolute blast. I did, however, completely sunburn my head. As you know, Steve, <laughs> that is the bald man's curse. Yeah. Uh, I forgot a hat, forgot sunscreen, paid the price dearly. Yeah. Oh, man. What about you, man? What'd you do? My Father's Day was pretty relaxing. I took a nice long nap and I'm just finding maybe I'm just getting old. I don't know. Like these afternoon naps, man, like I crave them. But also lately, my wife and I, we've been getting into this kind of backyard beautification project. And so, you know, we're planting shrubs and flowers. So we planted a bunch of globe caraganas and lilies and something a bit more poisonous like delphiniums and lily of the valley, you know, because um, you just got to have some poisonous plants in the backyard, you know. So, yeah, it's been really fun. I think there is something very spiritual, I think, about gardening, because it, after all, I mean, that's the first story that we read about Adam and Eve, right? They they started out as gardeners. So yeah, it was just really helpful. It was a moment of connecting with a little piece of nature that we have in our backyard and so on and so forth. So it was really good. Let's jump into our topic today. Yeah. And before we, before we get too deep into it, I know you've already said a word or two about this, but as I've read on this subject, I know it was one of our listeners who asked us to address this issue, which listeners, we always appreciate your suggestions. Mm-hmm. So keep sending them. But as we looked into this topic, and as I've looked on just people's comments on this topic, right? mercy, there are some passionate people yeah. on this subject. So listen, I, I just need to say something, Steve, for our podcast listeners. That's one of the challenges of doing this podcast. And that is, you know, we podcast every single week. It's always interesting to me when we will hear different people that have decided that they want to do their own podcasts. And and I just think to myself, God bless you, but be careful. Podcasting is a challenge. You know, it's something that you're doing every week that you're engaging yourself into. And I don't know about you, Steve, but particularly for me, we often are going into these deep waters that it's yeah. not like I've done a ton of research in these areas. I'm just I'm just an average guy telling you my thoughts on this. So I always feel a little bit of trepidation as I as I wade into these murky waters going, "Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you what I think, but I do appreciate the fact that these are complicated issues, and I'm sure there's at times listeners disagree with us or think to myself, these guys have no idea what they're talking about, and that's fine. Yeah. But I don't know. Do you ever feel that way, Steve? Like, Oh, yeah, constantly. Because there are so many different things that we could talk about. But the fact of the matter is there are just certain empirical things that we just don't have the time to do deeper research on. And so as we talk about these issues, inevitably, we have to make certain assumptions. So the topic that we're going to talk about today is, okay, what are the ethical implications of using vaccines that contain fetal cells? In talking about this, we're not going to talk about whether vaccines are effective or not, because that's a topic for another time. There's a ton of literature out there arguing both ways on this. 
So for now, we're just going to assume that vaccines are effective because really, if vaccines are not effective, this is a no-brainer, right? There is no real ethical tension there in the sense that, well, you just wouldn't use it. Then there goes the question, can we use these vaccines ethically? So we're going to assume that vaccines are effective. What do we make of using vaccines that contain these fetal cells? So all that to say, I really... I, I'm no expert in this either, but if we make certain assumptions, I think we can speak into it somewhat intelligently. So maybe the best place to start, Steve, would be, as you do so well, just lay a foundation of the issue for people. And I have to say, I this is my level of knowledge on the subject when, when our listener asked us to speak on this issue. I, I didn't even know this was a thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that there was a debate being had with regards to vaccines and if aborted fetal tissue was being used in the creation of these vaccines. So when I first heard that, the first thought that went in my mind was, well, that that doesn't seem realistic at all. But as you start to research into it, it's a lot more complicated than that. So mm-hmm. why don't you just take a moment just to kind of give people a lay of the land. So what is the ethical debate that's taking place with regards to vaccines? So the question, are vaccines ethical, really, it can be a two-part question. So the first question is, what is in those vaccines? And the second question is, what are the ethical implications of using these vaccines? And so, like we mentioned there, some vaccines contain fetal cells. And so, for example, with this COVID-19, there is a race for vaccines. And many of these vaccines, some, some of the more kind of promising ones, they contain Uh, fetal cells, for example, HEK-293. This one was derived from kidney tissue from a baby girl aborted in the Netherlands in 1972. And this tissue was developed into a cell line the following year. And then others contain PERC6, which is from this retinal tissue from an 18-week-old baby boy, again, aborted in the Netherlands in 1985, about 10 years later, in 1995, the tissue was developed into a cell line. So what happens is they they would take these cultured fetal cells and put them into the vaccines to carry viruses and things like that so that when it's injected into you, your body, it triggers this autoimmune response in your body. So there are others too, like MRC5, WI-38, these are found in vaccines that we commonly use for chickenpox, MMR, hep A and B, typhoid, polio, rabies, all sorts of things. And so then the question is, especially as a pro-lifer, I I was asked this question by a lady who goes to our church and said, so you're a pro-lifer? I said, yes. So what do you think of using vaccines like this because it contains fetal cells, right? So, and this is not just some random out there kind of an issue that vaccines are used uh, very widely, right? And the government encourages it, the medical community encourages it, and you are under constant pressure. If you go against it, if you are against using vaccines for these ethical reasons, then you are under real pressure. And it comes with certain social costs as well, because before you put your kids in public school, you're required to have your kids vaccinated. So so that's the broad picture there. 
So the challenge then that people have is they're saying, and this was the listener in particular, if then fetal tissue from an abortion has been used to create a vaccine, if they did get it, does that mean then that they are participating at some level in this abortion that took place? Yeah, even though, I mean, it, these abortions happened decades ago, but the fact of the matter is, and I think you and I would agree that abortion, insofar as it kills a defenseless, vulnerable, innocent human being, it's horrendous, right? So are we participating in something egregious like that? Now, I think it's important that we just get this clear from the get-go that as we begin to look at the ethical landscape of this question, this is not something that is taking place currently. Mm -hmm. So, currently, there are restrictions over using human fetal tissue for biomedical research, particularly from an abortion for research. That is currently forbidden. Yeah, so our listeners might remember a number of years ago, a Center for Medical Progress came out with a series of undercover videos of Planned Parenthood executives and whatnot negotiating the price of selling baby parts, right? So many were rightly outraged that Planned Parenthood, this corporation whose cash cow is abortion, they say, is using the remains of these innocent human beings that they butchered, they're profiting from it, right? And a lot of people were outraged by that. And so this then is not too far removed from that. What I understand then is this is not a this is not something that is allowed now. So the way that researchers are getting around the issue is they're using aborted tissue from decades ago, you know, right. 40 years ago, where they have kept this line of cells. So these cells continue to replicate and, and they have kept these cells and they now use them for the creating of vaccines. And so that then becomes the real crux of the question. Yeah. And so what happens is you heard me say earlier, cell lines. So what I mean by that is, okay, so there were these, you know, lung tissues, retinal tissues, the cells that were harvested from these aborted babies, but the, the original cells are not used. These cells were cultured, copied, right, derived. So what we use in the vaccines today are the derived products, if you will, of these original cells. So the original cells are themselves are not in there. And so probably some listeners will disagree with me on this issue and might even find it surprising that knowing that I'm a very staunch pro-lifer and anti-abortionist that I would say this, but I think in this case, we're one step removed. Now, so I would be less hesitant to use the vaccines especially in the absence of some ethical alternatives to use these vaccines because we're one step removed. Now, if these vaccines contained the original fetal cells, then I'd be a lot more hesitant to use it. So what I want to see is this. Is there any evidence of unborn babies being killed in order to produce vaccines? 
if that's the case, then for me, it's a no brainer. I wouldn't use vaccines because at that point, I think I'm fully complicit in the abortion of these unborn babies. But what's happening is after the fact that these things happened, their parts were used and it's not even the original parts. It's the copied parts that are now being used to produce these vaccines. Uh, some diseases that they prevent actually cause even miscarriages. So, for example, when it comes to rubella, congenital rubella causes miscarriages. And the use of the vaccines actually drastically reduce the number of cases per. So now I think we have what in the United States, five out of 100,000 live birds have rubella happening with it. And so I think something like 5,000 miscarriages are prevented every year because of the use of these rubella vaccines. And so those are some of my thoughts there. So then, Steve, you would say that what happened was wrong, that 40 years ago, those children that were aborted, that that was wrong. But interestingly enough, good has come from this through some of these vaccines, for example. But but I don't think you would say, Steve, that because good has come from this, mm. that this makes it ethically okay. That is critically important that we understand that. You are bang on there because I'm not a consequentialist. Just because there are some good consequences doesn't mean that the act is actually good. That's the utilitarian thinking, right? Consequentialism, meaning any act is considered morally good if it leads to the greatest amount of happiness for the greatest number of people. I'm not a utilitarian. I'm not a consequentialist. I certainly don't believe, as many utilitarians do, that ends justify the means. So I would actually deny that. And so this is not to condone what happened because I think I can separate the two. Again, because of the intention of what's going on, it's not like babies are being killed in order to produce these vaccines. That, that's a totally different story. And now, listeners, before we continue, a message from our very own Steve Kim. Hi, listeners. If you appreciate the work that we do at Apologetics Canada and are wondering, hey, how can I help these guys? There's one simple and easy way to do that. I would like to encourage you to go to iTunes and leave us a favorable review. Let me just read a couple of reviews as an example. Kay Sikorsky, I hope I said that correctly, says... I discovered this podcast while being stuck at home, social distancing, and quarantined. These chats and conversations have helped open my eyes and answer questions I have not fully understood. I look forward to each new podcast and see what Jesus gives me out of it. Amanda R-O-B-N-Z says, I have been listening to these for years and always recommend them to people who are interested in apologetics. Absolutely love the topics and conversation. Always positive and engaging. Easy to listen to. Well, thank you very much for those kind words of encouragement and reviews. If you are so inclined, please take a few minutes after you finish listening to this edition of the AC Podcast, and please leave us a review, and we would really appreciate it, and it would help our ministry greatly. And now, back to our podcast. I think one of the issues that's taking place when we get into this subject that people have to reckon with. And I and I and I would argue, Steve, that for Christians, it seems that this is a difficult thing 
for Christians to deal with, and that is that we live in a messy world that is not clean and is not black and white. It doesn't end in your classic feel-good moment that Christian movies often take you to, but reality is an absolute mm-hmm. mess. And the truth is that we live in a world in which horrendous things have happened and continue to happen, mm-hmm. and we have to live within that mess. And that's part of the challenge. So, so let me give you an example, because I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the logic of this argument, where we think about the logic being, okay, something bad happened, and an abortion took place, and then that abortion was used to create a vaccine, thus vaccines are bad and you shouldn't get a vaccine. The problem with this logic, though, is if you take that logic and and try to apply that in your life to any sort of level of consistency, what you begin to realize is, is you can't. Mm-hmm. That the life is far too messy for that. You know, I think about the fact that as an American, and we we live now on, on land that was taken from other people. And the reality is, I mean, you probably have a hard time finding a place on earth that that is land that wasn't taken from somebody. But let's just go with America, for example. Horrendous things happened in the past, and you now are benefiting from that. Does that mean then that you should no longer live in the United States, that you should no longer live on that land because of what happened? And I think you you would realize that it's just not that easy that, okay, I'm going to pack up and go because something bad happened here and and was moral and horrible and unethical, absolutely. But that's the reality of a broken, sinful world that you've got to live in. And that's the tension that you and I find ourselves in. I mean, even just using a modern example, and we talked about this one recently with Belgium, and and them wanting to rip down King Leopold II's statue because of all the horrible things he did. But when you read online the pushback to this, people are saying, yes, but Belgium is the country that it is and has the wealth and the beauty that it has, much of it as a direct implication to King Leopold II. You are benefiting from what he did to the Congo. Mm-hmm. And so now what do you do about that? Yeah. And, and personally, I would say that what you shouldn't do is try to erase the past and pretend like it didn't happen. But that doesn't mean that you need to continue to praise somebody like King Leopold II, you know, or even have a statue about him or whatever. But you can't pretend like it didn't happen. And you can't pretend like you're not benefiting from that horrible thing that did take place. But but Steve, don't you think that this brings us to the the challenge being... But what about today? Because we could even use medical examples from World War II, the Nazis advanced medicine from the horrible experiments that they performed during that war. Do we throw all that out the window? Again, it's just, it's not that easy. Yeah. In fact, I remember using those very examples. So, when... Like I mentioned earlier, a lady at our church approached me and asked me this question. And a couple of examples that I used was Dr. Mengele and 
Nazi Germany and all of the the experiments that they did and the medical knowledge that we gained from that. Now, there's some squabble over whether we actually gained anything from those experiments or not. If that example is no good to you, think of Unit 731. If you're not familiar with Unit 731, it was an Imperial Japanese Army's um, biochemical research unit that was installed in various places. Most prominent one is Unit 731 in Pingfang in what is today's, near today's Harbin in China. And so they've done some pretty horrendous things. Now, here's the really cringeworthy thing here. Most of the doctors that were involved with the experiments at Unit 731, they received immunity precisely in exchange for the medical records, which they handed over to the United States government. And so the United States certainly benefited from this. And I would assume other countries, right, like Canada, Australia, whoever it may be that has any relationship to the United States will have benefited from this, right? So all that to say, this is not like some are virtuous and others are not. We all have blood on our hands, right? If you are Canadian, for example, here is a bit of a side example. But if you're a Canadian, know that your taxpayer dollars are going to abortion, and so nobody's squeaky clean here. So I guess I just want to encourage our listeners that when you approach these topics, just remember that nobody's better than anybody else. We all have blood on our hands. And so let's approach people who hold different views with a little bit more charity. Also, here here's one side question that is still related, I think, is... Is there selective outrage happening here? That's sometimes what I think about. Because if we're going to say, okay, we can't use the vaccines because it's unethically sourced. What other unethically sourced things are we using? Just look around you. Look at the phone that you have. Look at the computer that we use for ministry or personal computers, right? What about the clothes that you're wearing? What kinds of things happened in order for you to get that. The parts that are being used in all of these consumer products today, how much of it relied on slave labor, for example, right? Sweatshops or those kinds of things. So not to say that this somehow justifies, you know, using fetal cells in vaccines and things like that. But this is to say that if you were thinking in this way, we need to stop thinking as though if we just get out of this vaccine issue, somehow we're in the clear. We're not out of the woods yet. There are so many other things around us that we're using that are unethically sourced. Steve, I think you'd agree that this would be a different ethical dilemma if abortions were currently being performed with those fetal tissues being used for the creation of vaccines, right? Yeah. I think both of us would say, if that was the case, this is a different conversation. But I think that we should be happy about the fact that that is forbidden mm. and is not being allowed. So that, that to, in my mind, is a win, right? That That, in fact, is forbidden. It took place, you know, in the past, and they are using that but I see this as being a different thing in that it has been condemned as wrong. It is no longer a practice that is being used. And not that it justifies it, 
But in the messy, broken world that we live in, this is one of the ethical realities that we have to deal with is that things are not cut and dry. They're not black and white. They're, it's messy. You're living in a sinful, broken world. And I think, though, if I could just go a little bit deeper in this, I want to bring Jesus into the conversation because Jesus gets at this issue of the messiness of it all and the fact that you're living in a broken world and what are you going to do about that? In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is talking to some Pharisees and these Pharisees are looking at Jesus and they want to figure out, you know, how squeaky clean is this Jesus living? But they're concerned about him because they're watching him on the Sabbath, right? When you shouldn't be working, but Jesus is eating at this Pharisee's house and, and it says that they're carefully watching him. And there in front of him was a man suffering from an abnormal swelling of his body. And Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But the Pharisees, they didn't want to say anything because they knew that Jesus was walking into a, a quagmire here, right? He's, it's messy. He's like, you shouldn't, you know, you should keep the Sabbath holy, right? But these Pharisees had taken it to such an extreme that they did nothing on the Sabbath, not even potentially healing a man. But now Jesus then heals this man and sends him on his way. And Jesus asks them this question. And I think it's a profound question, Steve. He says, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And again, they had nothing to say. Yeah, and so this is the the tough reality of it, right? So we have something that's unethically produced, and when we use it, uh, many of us feel that we're complicit in the abortion that happened decades ago. But if we don't use it, aren't we also exposing our children to certain dangers, right? Aren't we exposing other children, for example, to dangers of whether it's, you know, measles or, or whatever. And uh, a few years ago, there was actually a measles outbreak, if I remember correctly, in the Fraser Valley area, I think in Chilliwack or something like that. I could be wrong exactly where, but that was roughly the area, I think. So I think here it's helpful to make the distinction between association and complicity. When we say something is associated, it just means there is a connection in the same way that, well, Andy and Steve are connected via the ministry work and friendship and those kinds of things. Complicity means that you participated in it. So what I see happening in the case of these vaccines is that there is an association. The vaccines that are produced they don't use those original cells. They do use derived human cells in it that are connected to the abortion that happened years ago. And so there's that association of that dark act that happened back in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And the vaccines that are being used today has that connection to it. But complicity is something different. Complicity means that you actually participated in that act of abortion. I don't think complicity is established here because precisely the, the intent here is not to promote abortion. The intent is not to condone it. The intent is to protect people from some deadly diseases. 
Right. And so, and again, like I said earlier, if there is evidence of babies being killed in order to produce vaccines, it's a no brainer. You and I, I think, would both agree that we're not going to use this because then that's complicit. Wouldn't you say, Steve, in a perfect world, we would say, well, absolutely not. I'm not going to use a vaccine that was used in aborted fetus because that that's wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is another really key part of this whole conversation is the alternatives. Now, for me, if there is an alternative vaccine that doesn't use cells from that cell line, like WI38, MRC5, then hands down, I would use those alternatives. But in the absence of an alternative, I think you're justified in using these vaccines to protect your children or whoever it might be. Now, even the most one of the most pro-life organization that we know of, the Catholic Church, the Pontifical Academy has actually they issued a statement back in 2005, and it was confirmed three years ago, saying in the absence of alternatives, yes, you're justified in using this. And this is coming from the Catholic Church, one of the most pro-life organizations that we know of. And so, and it's not like they're stupid. Like, I mean, they, they have some brilliant people that are working on the ethical implications of this and thinking through them. And so we have their word as well that we can take into account. Not that this should determine what you do, but it's certainly something to take into account as we consider this. I, I guess, Steve, that that's why I was bringing up what Jesus is talking about here. In a perfect world, you know, the Pharisees, you know, you you keep the Sabbath holy and you don't have to worry about healing people, these other things. But in a messy world, there are going to be compromises that you're going to have to make. And Jesus is saying here that there's a greater good taking place in breaking the Sabbath to save your child or to save an ox that this would be preferred. And of course, why wouldn't you do that? And I think that you can make a similar argument as taking place here, that given COVID-19 and the devastation that's happening in our world and all that's going on, I think that defeating COVID-19 is significant in the saving of lives in comparison to protesting an abortion that took place 40 years ago in which that scientific practice is currently forbidden, you in a broken world are placed into that challenging decision that you're going to have to make. I think that passage really illustrates your point well, Andy. You know, yeah, we do live in a fallen world, in a messy world, and we just aren't able currently to live a perfect life. And there are questions that we have to ask. There are compromises that are made in one way or another, in one area of our lives or another, not just with respect to vaccines. But isn't that what we're looking forward to, though? Living in a world where those compromises no longer have to be made. I think given what's going on with COVID-19 and all the other deadly diseases that the vaccine could prevent, and knowing you know, for some of these in certain parts of the world, there are no alternatives in the cells that are produced here. They're one step removed. They're not the original cells. I think taking all of these into account, I, I'm saying I think we can, in good conscience, use these vaccines. 
And I just add to that, Steve, that I just want to thank our listener for bringing this to our attention. You and I need to know what is in fact going on. And I would encourage listeners to, to do some research. You'll see that it's, it, it is a messy issue that goes back decades. And there's even more there than we've talked about that people are outraged by. And I think rightly so. That's clearly led to the laws, many of the, the laws that we now currently have in place. Don't you think, Steve, that that's just part of the tension in all this is it's kind of like the tension of living in Belgium. It's the tension of living in the even the lands in which we live in, or or if you're in South America, you know, that was conquered by the conquistadors or whatever that is, you know, you're you're living in the tension of a broken world. Yeah. And I think and I think instead of being ignorant or trying to be blind to it, that's part of the challenge is living in the tension of it, knowing that th- those things had happened. And I think by knowing that too means that we'll actually care more that they don't happen again and that we continue to seek out alternatives to doing medicine ethically and not capitulating to an unethical practice within science. And I think this is a great place to just briefly address this related question. Should vaccines be mandatory, whether it's COVID-19 or something else, right? Because there um, there are some movements within, say, Alberta and New Brunswick in Canada right now that are talking about making COVID-19 vaccines mandatory. Now, on that issue, I would probably say no. I don't think they should be mandatory precisely because it is a messy thing. And for some people, they will be able to take these vaccines with a clear conscience, but others won't be. And I don't want to see people having to violate their conscience to take these vaccines. And I think making it mandatory will probably remove any incentive from developing alternatives that are produced from an, a more ethical source, those kinds of things. Because if it's mandatory and everybody's using it, then what incentive is there? I think we need to leave things a little bit unsettled so that there is some impetus to continue research so that we can create something that can be used by anybody without serious conscientious objections. So for example, stem cell research, right? It used to be a huge issue because in procuring these stem cells, embryos were being destroyed. But now they're coming out with this technology where you can actually procure these cells from adults without killing them. So then this whole point is becoming moot, right? This, Which that's such a good point, Steve, because when you look at the research on that, these new techniques are far superior than the old. And I think that that's something where our culture could appreciate in that because people challenged this and it made them have to think more about what they're doing and not just go the simple, easy route that was unethical, uh, it actually led to a better place where we now were able to advance through actually doing it ethically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's, for me, that's what I hope to see down the road, that there will be vaccines produced without using fetal cells or derived fetal cells so that anybody can use it without wondering whether this is ethical or not to use. And we can create a better society through that. That's what I'm looking forward to. I know that there's some listeners who may disagree with us on this one. We've Yeah, for sure. 
we, we've been there before. Uh, <laughs> but I hope that we've at least given you something to think about. And we've put ourselves out there once again, telling you what we think. Mm-hmm. I think this is a good place to wrap up. Um, I know this can be a very contentious issue. So if you have further comments, we would love to hear from you. Don't hesitate to send us a message about what you thought about this podcast. You've been listening to another edition of the AC Podcast. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. And we'll come back next week with more stuff to think about. Until then, take care. Take care.